بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله وكفى والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد الحمد لله we're continuing with قصد السبيل and we've reached the sixth hidayah which is the regimen the regimen is the daily goal the daily effort that every salik should put in as they say no pain no gain it's the work that you put in in order to receive something in return and the regimen can also be called the wird it could be called the litany the wazifa the wazaif various different names have been given but for us to understand that this is our workout plan just like a person who wishes to attain optimum health you have to have a daily jog a daily workout you know this many reps of push-ups this many sit-ups this many burpees this many you know uh, miles of jogging right in order to attain a specific objective similarly when we want to attain the objective of Allah Ta'ala's muhabbat and Allah Ta'ala's closeness and Allah Ta'ala's love then we need to have a hizb a wild, a wazifa, a regimen, a litany. And that regimen should be um, designated and supervised by a sheikh who will look at our situation, our condition, and be able to advise us accordingly. Just like, you know, you get a blood test and you get a heart test uh, by a qualified doctor and then he tells you, okay, you have high blood pressure, this is what you need to do. You have, you know, a lot of cholesterol in your blood, this is what you need to do. You know, you're overweight for your age, you know, you need to walk a little bit. You need to lessen the red meat. You need to, you know, eat more vegetables. You need to, you know, exercise more and so on. Similarly, for our spiritual betterment, we need to have a spiritual doctor that we take advice from for regimen. So Hazrat writes that six hidayah the regimen after having rectified his niyat as explained in the fourth hidayat and the fifth hidayat the murid should spend a few days in the company of the sheikh when he finds the opportunity to do so. Okay. The suhbat is in a company with the sheikh is something very essential on this path. Not only does it allow the murid to observe the sheikh, where he learns by observation, but the sheikh is also able to observe the murid and see where he is in need of islah and rectification. When we want to attain health, we have a coach, we have a trainer. Similarly, you can't be able to get to that level unless you have a coach and a trainer and he teaches you and shows you what is the proper way of getting what you need? Whenever you find the opportunity, you should try to go in the company of a sheikh. If this opportunity does not arise, the murid should still act in accordance with the instructions of his sheikh. I mean, if it's not possible for you to physically be in the company, then the ins these instructions of the sheikh should be done either through communicating to the sheikh through letters 
nowadays we have email we have text message we have email and i'm personally if people connect themselves with myself i will do the same thing i don't mind the main thing is uh, getting the information conveying one's hal and message and receiving a reply as mawtani ramtlale elsewhere he says char haq hai sheikh ka rak unko yaad char haq hai sheikh ka rak unko yaad ittilao ittibao aitmado inqiyad four rights the sheikh has remember them ittila informing him of your condition then after you have informed him he gives you a prescription and advice that you should do this then you make ittiba which is point number 2 and while you're making ittiba you should have complete i'timad that what the sheikh is giving me in the regimen or the prescription he's giving me this is the best and you make inqiyad inqiyad is where you completely comply to whatever the sheikh has given you you don't say that oh you know he told me to say it um once a day only i should i want to do it twice a day or he do he told me only you know 100 times a day i'm going to do it a thousand times a day no you make inqiyad yani complete submission understand that whatever the sheikh has advised this is the best thing don't add or subtract to what he mentions so these instructions are acquired by communicating with the sheikh through letters even if a person never gains the opportunity to physically visit a sheikh he can still become a murid and get guidance either through correspondence or through a reliable person and as they say ma la yudrak kulluhu la yutrak kulluhu that which you cannot gain fully don't leave it completely so if a person cannot gain full sohbat of a sheikh listening to the bayans of the sheikh listening to the lectures of the sheikh listening to the recordings of the sheikh writing him letters writing him emails although physically being present in the company of the sheikh is very beneficial it is not a requisite because there are numerous numerous ways of talim and every sheikh employs his own method there's different different methods there is no need to enumerate the various methods adopted by different mashayikh however a brief regimen will be explained here Now what we are about to read in Qastus Sabil is what Hazrat Tanwi's advice is. A brief regimen will be explained here. Due to the great benefit and efficacy found in this regimen, it befits the title, right? The fragrance of the soul. He gave the title to it, fragrance of the soul, because right, it's been so beneficial this regimen that Hazrat has given. This method has been presented after a great amount of probing and observation and looking into the conditions of the various types of people. In fact, the actual goal behind the compilation of this book is to explain this regimen. So Hazrat is saying that one of the reasons why he wrote Tasheelu Qastus Sabil or Qastus Sabil was to give this regimen so that the muridin or the mutaalliqin they would have something to connect themselves to allah with this regimen may be adopted by anyone treading one of the paths of the dervishes even if they may be traveling along a different path until they are connected to a sheikh 
However, I particularly exhort my friends, yani those who are spiritually connected to Hazrat Hakim al-Ummah Tanwi, to permanently adopt this method. I have great hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not deprive those who act in accordance with this regimen. After getting connected to a shaykh, the murid should act in accordance to his instructions. As we mentioned previously, he shouldn't be doing his own thing. Char hai shaykh ka rak unko yad. Ittilao, in qiyad. You don't do whatever you feel like doing. Right? The doctor tells you, I give you this prescription, take it three times a day. After breakfast, after lunch, after dinner. He said, no, I'm not going to take it three times a day. I'm going to take it five times a day. Or, you know, it's not really necessary. You know, I don't have to do it. You're going to destroy yourself if you don't go in accordance with the instructions of the doctor. If a person wants full benefit, then he will get the full benefit when he complies to the instructions fully. If the sheikh maintains this regimen for the murid, then that is well and good. However, if the sheikh alters the regimen or he orders the murid to abstain from it or he instructs him to adopt an alternate, alternate method, then the murid should follow his instructions. Just like the prescription of a doctor. The doctor tells you three times a day, it's a little bit too much. You come back, say, you know, doctor, it's a little bit too much for me. I'm feeling drowsy. Could you give me a non-drowsy formula? Something like that. And then the doctor will adjust in accordance with the halat. However, it is not possible to alter the essentials that are mentioned in the beginning of this regimen. Right? Some of the wazifas or the zikirs that are done, that can be adjusted, that can be altered, but not the actual regimen that's mentioned in regards to um, toba, seeking knowledge, following the Sharia, Islah of the heart, rectification of the character, watching one's tongue, watching one's eyes, watching and, 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 and guarding one's ears. These are things that cannot be altered. This is something that a person does whether or not the Shaykh prescribes or doesn't prescribe. You have to keep on that. Praying your five times namaz with Jamaat, right? These type of things have nothing to do with the regimen that the sheikh gives. These remain, you know, ilallahad, till the grave. Now, when we before we begin this regimen, it's an important note to take into consideration. Hazrat Tanwi wrote this regimen for his buridin. It has been kept intact in this booklet because it illustrates the importance of amal in the lives of salikin. In addition, it contains numerous invaluable pieces of advice and wisdom. However, dhikr is a very specific exercise that must be tailored to the needs of the individual. Therefore, it is important to make mashwara with one shaykh about the specific quantity of dhikr that should be made daily. Adhakir, yani the one who does dhikr, should not make more dhikr than he is spiritually capable of handling. When a balloon is filled with more air than it can handle, it will pop. Similarly, if a person does more dhikr than he can spiritually handle, it can have an adverse effect on him mentally or physically. In this day and age, people are much weaker than the people in the era of Hazatanwi. 
This point will be better understood after reading Hazatanu's explanation of the differences between the prescriptions of people in the, of the past versus the people of present. In, in page 53, the discussion of Darb, it will come. Therefore, the Mashaykh of the Tanwi Silsila have advised the following adhkar for people in general. Our Hazrat, Hazrat Maulana Shah Hakim Muhammad Akhtar Saab, Rahmatullah alayhi, he gives a Wirdi'am. Wirdi'am is this, 100 times La ilaha illallah, 100 times Allah, Ismidat, 100 times Durud Sharif, 100 times Istighfar. And a person without a Shaykh should limit himself to the above along with reading as much as Quran as possible and working on his Islah and rectification of his character. In this section where Hazatani describes the regimen, the advices that are found in the description of these regimens that are in italics should not be implemented except with the supervision and instruction of a Shaykh Kamil. So those who have this book, Tashilu Qasd Sabil, we have put the words in italics. The italics should not be implemented except with the supervision and instruction of a Shaykh Kamil. They have been kept in this book because they contain valuable advices that will be beneficial for Asalik. Many important amal are mentioned here, but it is important to consult the Shaykh before applying any of them. The portion that is left in normal typeface may be implemented without any additional supervision. So I, I hope that is clear for our respected listeners. Hazrat continues saying there are four kinds of people treading the path of tasawwuf. They are number one, the layman who has the responsibility of earning and discharging familial rights. So a person who is a working class, he has a family, he's busy, and he has to fulfill his duties. And he's a regular layman, meaning he's not a person of knowledge or an alim or a maulana. Number two, the layman, the non-alim who does not have the above responsibility. Okay, Meaning he's a regular person, he doesn't have um, maybe retired, maybe old uh, you know, uncle that is not working, he doesn't have any responsibilities. Number three is an alim who has the above responsibility. An alim who has duties, masjid duties, masjid responsibilities, family responsibilities. Maybe he has a job as well. Number four, the alim who does not have the above responsibility. Meaning an alim was farigh, he doesn't have all the responsibilities. So for each of these four kinds of people, there is a separate regimen. For each of these four kinds of people, there is a separate regimen. Number one, the regimen for the layman who has worldly responsibilities to discharge. Okay, so this is a normal person who's a working class person. He has a family, has to take care of them, but he also wants to tread the path of sulu. First, he must rectify his aqaid. He must get his aqidah correct and learn his farda'ayn. Knowledge of basic aqaid and farda'ayn is fard for everyone. Islam is not a religion of religious elites that people must depend upon as intermediaries between them and Allah. Rather, it is necessary for every Muslim man and woman to establish a personal relationship with Allah and the deen. This is especially true regarding those aspects of the deen that pertain to our daily lives. This basic level of deeny knowledge 
must be considered just as necessary as if not more than a high school diploma. Nobody even questions that, right? If our children or our younger brothers and sisters, they say, I don't want to go to high school, I don't want to go. You know, they say, no, 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 you have to get a high school diploma. High school diploma is considered like, you know, wajib. So understand that knowing your aqidah and a very simple thing is being able to, having read the Beishti Zewar. Beishti Zewar is a perfect example of the Farda'ayn and the Aqaid. Ma'atani rahmatullahi, right in the beginning, basically has translated the entire Aqidah Tahawiyah in the first part of Beishti Zewar. And he has also brought Taharat and Salat and all those things that are necessary for every Muslim to know. Having that is binding upon every Muslim. With great diligence, he must act in accordance with these rulings. If a situation arises that requires him to gain additional knowledge, he must consult with an alim. If a sheikh is an alim, it would be best to consult with him. If possible, he should perform tahajjud in the latter part of the night. If he is not able to do so, then he should perform a few rakats of nafil salat with the intention of tahajjud before performing with it at night. Kulluma sulliyat ba'd al-isha fahuwa min al-layl. Allama Shami rahmatullahi in his fatawa, he writes, Kulluma sulliyat ba'd al-isha fahuwa min al-layl. Any salat that is performed after Salatul Isha of Nafil, that is also considered to be Qiyamul Layl. So if a person can't perform Salatul Tahajjud and he uh, just prays a couple of Nafil Rakats before he goes to sleep, inshaAllah, Allah Ta'ala will give him the Ajr of that Salatul Tahajjud. And after each of the five Salats, he should recite the following, SubhanAllah a hundred times. La ilaha illallah hundred times and Allah Akbar hundred times. If due to lack of time he is unable to do the above after every salat, then he should recite them after those salat that time is available. And before going to sleep, he should recite the following istighfar a hundred times. Astaghfirullah rabbi min kulli dhambin wa atubu ilayh. Whether he's walking, sitting, or reclining, he should continuously be reciting salawat on the Prophet. Wudu is not required for this nor is a specific number stipulated for this continuous recitation of Durud Sharif, do not always walk around with a tasbih in the hand. You're always walking around with a tasbih in the hand right, is not necessary. You don't need to count a specific number in this. You could just keep it and make it the width of your, width of your tongue. In other words, you should continuously recite it without having to... Um, have a specific number. Next, he should recite a portion of the Holy Quran every day. The Quran is the best means of attaining closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The greatest method of taqarrub ilallah after salah is recitation of the Quran. At the end of this book, there is some advice and some admonitions mentioned. You should occasionally refer to these and act accordingly. He should periodically visit his shaykh and sit in his company. If this is not possible, then he should sometimes sit in the company of some other saintly person who is nearby. But company is very important. Company is very important. You are your company. If, if you want to know who you are, 
this person that you are at this moment in time, you are whosoever company that you have kept throughout your life. This is what makes you, you. This is how we, we, have, we have become the people that we have become. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He calls them Sahaba. We call the companions of the Prophet Sahaba. And Hazrat, my beloved Shaykh, Shah Hakim Muhammad Akhtar Sahab, rahmatullah, used to say, why do we call the Sahaba Sahaba? Sahaba comes from Suhbat. So that we know that deen is attained and deen is acquired through Suhbat, not through Kitabs. Allah Ta'ala could have called them the Kitabis. Allah could have called them right, the Ulama. Allah could have called them the Fuqaha. Allah could have called them, you know, the Rabbaniyun, the Hawariyun. And all of that is correct. They were all of that. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose the name Sahaba for them because whatever they received was through the barakat of the suhbat of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And similarly, till the day of judgment, whoever receives any ilm, fadl, righteousness, virtue, knowledge, it is through company. Earning a halal income and supporting one's family are also acts of ibadah. Therefore, he should involve himself with seeking halal earnings. The rights of the family must be fulfilled. A person should not be deceived by thinking that he can right, leave his responsibilities and, oh, I'm, you know, I'm involved in ibadat, I'm making dhikr. No, this is laziness. Fulfilling rights is an act of ibadah and should be performed as such. This includes... Providing for one's family. And Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, And it is the duty of the fathers to feed and clothe his children with correctness and, cur and courtesy. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, mentions in a muttafaq Ali hadith, and you'll be rewarded for whatever you spend on your family when you wish and desire the, the ridha and the pleasure of Allah. Even that morsel that you put in the mouth of your wife. So we should understand this very clearly. Earning halal earnings is a great action which Allah Ta'ala is pleased with. And abandoning this is a sin. If the murid is a woman, then she should involve herself with her housework and serving her husband. This is her responsibility. As a messenger of Allah وسلم, said, and a woman is responsible for the house of her husband. Nowadays, women shy away from this. Women feel embarrassed of this, that they are a housewife or a homemaker. Whereas the Prophet وسلم, mentioned, a woman is responsible for the house of her husband. Uh, the Prophet said that. Anybody has the audacity and the boldness and the jur'at to uh, challenge the statement of the Prophet? A woman must not visit her shaykh without the consent of her husband and there is no visitation of the shaykh without parda. Right? These... Mashaykh who ask the females to uncover their faces or to sit with them without parda, this is not acceptable. During the times of her period, she should still make wudu and engage in dhikr. 
Allama Shami mentions that when a woman is in a state of hayt, sitting in the direction of the Qibla at the time of five daily salats, making wudu, sitting in the direction of the Qibla and saying Subhanallah 33 times, Alhamdulillah 33 times, and Allahu Akbar 32 times, this is greatly, greatly rewarding. And she should do that. Keeping the connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even in the state of hayth and period. During these times, only the recitation of the Qur'an and performance of salat are impermissible. However, zikr, dhikrullah, durud sharif, istighfar, all of these things are permissible and she should not abandon these things. Next is the regimen for the layman who is free from worldly responsibility. So now we're talking about the layman who doesn't have any worldly responsibility. Meaning he doesn't have any duties. Perhaps he's retired. In addition to the regimen described in the previous section, the layman that is free from worldly responsibility should endeavor to remain in the company of a sheikh more. However, he must ensure that his provisions and expenses are not a burden upon anyone else. He shouldn't just come lay out in the masjid and depend on other people to take care of him. If he has no source of income, then he should not depend on others. Becoming a burden on other people is a sin. He should either engage in earning a living, or if he has the courage and determination to do so, he should put his trust completely in Allah. He should first be satisfied with whatever he acquires and make use of it. If nothing comes his way, then he should adopt sabr. If for some reason he is unable to stay with his sheikh, then he should either remain at home or stay in the masjid. However, he should withdraw himself from the company of people as much as possible. His association with people should be limited to necessity. When need compels him to meet with someone, he should guard his tongue he must not allow any evil speech such as ghibat, backbiting, and other things to pass through his lips. He must perform salat with jamaat and occupy his free time with recitation of Quran, munajat al which is a dua book, nafil salat, durud sharif, and istighfar. If he has the ability to read books of deen, then he should occasionally study reliable books of deen. He should first request the approval of an alim for the book that he wishes to study. Not just picking up anything or reading articles online and leading yourself astray. right? First, knowing that the book is from a reliable, qualified source. Thereafter, if there is anything that he is unable to understand in the book, he should not depend on personal interpretation. Rather, he should seek clarification on the matter from an alim. If there happens to be a pious man or dini scholar who engages in abundant dhikr and ibadah in his town, then he should spend a great amount of time in his service. Service to saintly men imbues the heart with nur while simultaneously banishing pride from it. When we sit in the company of righteous people, right, this takes out pride from our hearts and fills our hearts with nur because those people are nurani people. They're involved in nurani actions. They're involved in actions which emanate light and they are righteous, and they are good, and their good qualities will rub off upon us. He should also engage, occasionally engage in nafil psalm, fasting, Mondays and Thursdays, preferably, or three days a month, ayam ul 13th, 14th, and 15th, etc. 
Neither category of laymen should engage in or be taught any type of shagal, spiritual exercises. Shagal gives rise to certain issues that can be corruptive. Only an alim will be able to deal with the precarious consequences that may arise out of shagal. However, if the seeker that is in the second category of laymen is very eager and capable, then he may be instructed to engage in the dhikr of Allahu Allah 3,000 to 6,000 times while sitting in solitude. This dhikr should be done silently without darb. This is a special way. More than this is unadvisable. However, he may engage in any amount of nafil salat and tilawat recitation of Qur'an. The regimen for the alim was involved in worldly or deeny responsibility. An alim who is in this category should stipulate a time daily to engage in the dhikr of Allah. Whenever he sits to make dhikr, his heart should be free from any concern and he should be neither hungry nor satiated. Shouldn't be hungry thinking about food nor should you be overfilled where your stomach is hurting. In the state of wudu and with slightly audible voice, he should make dhikr of Allahu Allah 12,000 to 24,000 times. Again, this is in the italics. This is not for everyone. And he should apply light barb. You need the beat of dhikr when making a dhikr. Allahu Allah, Allahu Allah, Allahu Allah, Allahu Allah, Allahu Allah. In this method. 12,000 to 24,000 times. This is for who? The regimen for the alim who is busy. Subhanallah. This doesn't make sense. A person who is busy should be doing 12 to 24,000 times. The reason behind this, respected listeners, is that when a person is involved in teaching others, how much his heart needs to be enlightened and how much his heart needs to be filled with the nur of Allah. If a person is empty himself, what can he give to others? And if you think about it, if a well does not have water in it, how can that well quench the thirst of the thirsty people? The water, the well itself must be filled with water. Once the well is filled with water, it will be able to quench and feed others. However, if the well is empty, filled with dirt or dust, how will it then ever be able to give water to other people? Similarly, the ulama, they are like the wells where people are coming to them, getting their water, getting the knowledge, getting the hikmat. If their hearts are empty of nur, what will they be able to give to others? He should be regular in his performance of tahajjud salat, his daily recitation of Qur'an, reading one manzal of munajat al-maqbul. He should be punctual in these practices. It is ideal for him to be a mudarris, a teacher. However, if he's not a mudarris, then it is necessary for him to spend some of his time imparting dini knowledge to others. He should occasionally lecture on essential matters of deen. He should not lecture on topics that are inessential, right? Don't be talking about, you know, the color of the dog of ashab kahf You know, was, it, was the dog black colored or was it brown colored or did it have spots or did it have... These are things that are not people are not in need of. 
If an issue is essential but controversial, then he must not be ambiguous in his speech. Rather, he should explain the matter clearly without being harsh. He should study the books like Ihya al-Din, as well as other similar books. He must not engage in shagal without the sanction of his shaykh. So we understand that right, an alim, he should do this all under the supervision. And when we said 12 to 24,000 times, that is not what a anybody should do again with the supervision of an alim, with the supervision of a shaykh, if the busy alim also engages at least in a hundred times a day, like we mentioned previously, this is also very much, there are ulama today and mashayikh today, muftis and alims and maulanas and speakers, they don't even make dhikr of Allah a hundred times a day. They don't even read one para of the Quran a day. So for them to do that even is a very great thing. So what Hakimul Ummat Rahmatullah is saying is a Great ibrat, and it's a lesson for us that what is expected of a alim who is busy in the work of deen, that he should be doing twelve to twenty-four thousand times a day. Obviously, to, then nowadays it's very difficult, but this teaches us like what is expected. This is how much he should be engaged in Allah's remembrance, and practically, it's very important to start with a hundred times a day. Once a person has you know, stay firm upon that, then after that, you know, he can ask increase uh, from his shaykh according to his level. Next is the regimen for the alim who is not involved in any activity. If an alim has free time, even if it's only for six months, he should remain in the company of his shaykh and engage in dhikr. Here, Maulana Tanwi is teaching us that every alim when he becomes farigh, should spend time in the khanqa or should spend time in the supervision doing residency with a Shaykh Kamil. He should engage in the following athkar daily after performing tahajjud salat 200 times la ilaha illallah, 400 times illallah, 600 times Allahu Allah, and 100 times Allah. This is the one known as bara tasbih. This formula of dhikr will suffice the alim that is in this category. Jahar, audibility and darb should both be done slightly. Yani, loudly and with a little bit of force. Illallahu, illallah, illallahu, illallah, like that. Slight jahar means to recite the dhikr in a voice that is slightly audible. The dhikr should not be so loud that it disturbs others who may be sleeping or engage in ibadah. It is bid'ah to hold the firm belief that loud jahri dhikr is essential. It will be sufficient amount of jahar if one can hear one's own voice. This slight degree of jahar will serve the purpose of warding off stray thoughts because the sound of one's voice reaching the ears can keep the heart and mind engrossed. Darb or beating is the action of striking the heart with the dhikr. Through the motion of the head and reflection in the mind, the heart is repeatedly struck in an endeavor to have the remembrance of Allah permeate the heart and mind. Darb should be practiced lightly without applying too much pressure. In order to properly understand the correct method of doing darb, practical demonstration by the shaykh is necessary. So darb would be 
Allahu Allah, Allahu Allah, Allahu Allah, Allahu Allah, Allahu Allah, Allahu Allah. Right. So this is a method of darb. Also, La ilaha illallah, La ilaha illallah, La ilaha illallah. And the purpose of that again is to have the remembrance of Allah permeate into the heart and mind. Darb like jahad is not one of the goals of dhikr that should be honed or directed. It purpose, its purpose is merely to aid in concentration. That's the purpose. You don't have to do it. It's not fard, it's not wajib, it's not sunnah, there's nothing. It just helps in concentration. It also applies a warm effect on the heart that produces tenderness, causing the heart to become receptive. Right? It's like tenderizing the meat. You got to beat it down a little bit. You know, they have that little... Uh, when you're tenderizing the meat or softening the meat, you have the little hammer. You just like slap the meat a little bit so it can get soft, so it can get marinated better. Right? Similarly, you're putting darb and you're hammering the heart a little bit so it can get soft so that the nur of Allah Ta'ala enters into the heart. Consequently, the heart becomes instilled with the divine love and obedience to Allah becomes easy. It is this love and obedience that are amongst the goals to be attained. Thus, darb is a means to an end. From this viewpoint, it is commendable. It is not commendable in and of itself. However, excessive darb is detrimental to the heart. Hence, a person should not exceed moderation. The methods of darb that are described in some of the classical books of Tasawwuf should not be adopted. These methods are very severe and were specifically designed for people from an earlier time who were physically much stronger. Their tough physical makeup required intense concentration, concentrated methods to create receptiveness in the heart. In our day and age, due to the generally weaker physical states of our bodies, the strain of the earlier methods is harmful. Therefore, adopting the strenuous methods of darb found in some books of tasawwuf can cause mental and physical harm. In fact, there isn't any essential need to adopt the practice of darb. You don't need to do it. Forceful verbal expression of zikr is sufficient in, it, in itself to produce the desired effect on the heart. After having completed the aforementioned routine of zikr, if one is overcome with sleep, then he should rest for a bit. If he's not sleepy, then he may engage in any of the adhkar mentioned in this regimen or he may be rest until fajr. After Fajr Salah, you should recite the Holy Qur'an, followed by one manzil of Munajat Maqbul. Then after performing the Ishraq Salat, he should engage in the Dhikr of Ismidat. This must be recited 12,000 to 24,000 times in solitude with slight jahar, audibility, and moderate darb. Thereafter, he should perform the Duha Salat. Again, we're reading Mu'atanmi's words. This is not something that we implement. This is not something that we actually practice. Every single one of us who is listening to this, we need to ask the supervision of a sheikh, the general dhikr should be done and that is la ilaha illa hundred times, Allah Allah hundred times, istighfar hundred times, durud sharif hundred times, recitation of Quran. All of these other things are, we're reading through it just so we can see Hazrat's perspective of the various regimens that are out there. At midday, he should take a short nap, qaylula. Then after Zuhur Salat, he should engage once again in the dhikr of ismidat between 12,000 and 24,000 times in the same manner described above. This zikr should be finished before Asr Salat. If a sheikh is free after Asr, he should remain in the company of a sheikh until Maghrib. If the sheikh is busy or not present, then he should go for a walk in the forest 
through an orchard or along a river bank. If the sheikh is present but busy, then take his permission before going. During these walks, he should occasionally visit the graveyard. In the graveyard, يُذَكِّرُكُمُ maut It will remind you of death. It will remind you of akhirah and preparing for the afterlife. After Maghrib Salat, he should perform the Awabin Salat. Afterwards, he should sit in solitude and engage in Muraqabah, especially the Muraqabah of death and the period after death up to the reckoning. He should engross himself in contemplation for half an hour to an hour. Constant and abundant dhikr of Allah will create love of Allah in the heart, while this Muraqabah will produce an abhorrence for this fleeting world. It is these two qualities that will push the Salik along this path until he reaches final spiritual success, insha'Allah. In the remaining time that he has available, be it walking, sitting, standing, reclining, he should recite Durud Sharif and whatever other form of dhikr that his heart inclines towards. Not even a single breath should be wasted in ghaflat. Respected listeners, this is the regimen that was mentioned by Hakimul Ummat Rahmatullah I will explain this again that this regimen has been mentioned for the various uh, people and the various categories of people and we should not try to imitate any one of these things by ourselves without first taking advice from a sheikh. These dhikrs that have been mentioned are for a specific objective. That objective is rectification of the heart and removing from the heart all of the harmful diseases, pride, jealousy, anger, and all these other things that corrupt the heart. These are things that you need ijazat for. However, we have certain adhkar that are mentioned, regimens that are mentioned by Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the hadith. And these adhkar, you don't need ijazat to do them. For example, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam mentions that the habbul kalami ilallah Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, Wala ilaha illallah, Wallahu Akbar. The most beloved words to Allah is that Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, La ilaha illallah, Wallahu Akbar. If you recite that, inshallah, you don't re- require any ijazat or permission. Right? And Kalimatani, Khafifatani, Ala Lisan, Thakilatani, Filmizan, Habibatani, Ila Rahman, Subhanallah, Bihamdi, Subhanallah, Al Azim. Right? Two words that are most beloved to Allah. They are very light on the tongue. They are very heavy on the scales. Subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanallah, You don't need the ijazah to do this. Hadith of Bukhari. Or la ilaha illallah wa la sharika la lahu al-mulk wa lahu al-hamdu wa la kulli shayin qadir. The one who recites his hundred times in the morning. Right? There's various different fadail and virtues that are mentioned. These adhkar do not require any ijazah or permission from a shaykh. These can be done for thawab, for ajr. But these ones that are mentioned in the kitab, this is for a specific purpose of purification of the heart, rectification of the heart, removing the corruption, right? It's not particularly for sawab. This you need to consult with the shaykh and the shaykh in accordance with our state, our condition will prescribe what is according to our need. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the understanding of what has been said. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi